I'm just glad to be here. Uh, <laughs> glad to be here. Um, speaking of, of good friends, uh, I, I'm very thankful for John and getting to know him all these years. Uh, but I want to talk about my brother a tiny bit here. Um, with the disc golf mention, uh, we have uh, a little family group. John's a part of it. We play every month and all of this. And when I let my family group know about the injury Monday night at basketball to the knee, the first thing my brother said was, we've got an easy doubles win this month to his partner. Then he said about five minutes later, oh, really sorry, Jack, about your injury. Uh, and well, uh, I'm telling you this because he will be your speaker next week. Uh, is it two weeks? Okay, uh, two weeks from now. Uh, he'll be your next uh, summer series speaker. So if you will... Bring that up. I would really appreciate that. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, just about every, every summer for the last, I don't know, 14 years, 15 years, I've uh, been to the preacher training camp at North MacArthur. I was there as a sophomore in high school. I've been ministry 10 years now, so I think 15 years is about right. Uh, gone to that camp, and a lot of what I learned about preaching, uh, pre- presentation, structure, all of those things, I learned there, uh, at least the base kind of foundation. And then as I went to school, a lot of those things were built on, and I got, uh, hopefully, better, I think, at those things, uh, and improved and grew in all of this. Uh, but there was one teaching that uh, the, the preacher who uh, who teaches us how to put all these lessons together and think about preaching. There's one idea uh, that has remained with me. He brings it up every year. It is uh, very much his belief in what the role of the preacher is. And that role is uh, that the preacher is a man of two worlds. One world uh, is the word, uh, that you are... Uh, somebody who is over here uh, studying the Word of God that understands uh, what God's truth is, what God's desire for the creation is, uh, what God's hope for people is, that's one of the worlds that they live in. Okay? The other world is that of the world. Because you need to take that Word to those people that don't know it, to those people that are uh, lost in whatever sin they may be in, that are struggling with whatever thing uh, they may be dealing with. And he would say that the preacher's role is not to be the bridge in the middle, but to illuminate what Jesus has done to bridge those two worlds. Uh, And I'm not just using bridge because this Bridge Builder Summer Series, that's his terminology, this idea of there are two worlds, two bridges, people over here and you over here, and the preacher's job is to bring people together from both sides, showing them how Jesus has connected those things. I believe that to be true, and that's never changed. Uh, In fact, the more I've uh, learned and grown and worked in these things, the more I've uh, seen that to be true, and the more I've tried to think about uh, how to actually carry those things out. Uh, And one of the developing parts of that thought process is that's not just for preachers, that the Christian's role is to help people that are over on the world, sorry to this side of the auditorium tonight, uh, those that are over in the world understand the other world, this one of the Word of God, uh, how, how much better it is for them, uh, how much better life would be if they would only come to know uh, the truth of God, that that's our role as Christians, is to help illuminate and bring those things to others. 
If you've got a Bible with you, uh, John chapter 4, I assume there's Bibles in the pew in front of you if you don't have one. Uh, We will have some verses on the screen, uh, but there will be other times where we're just uh, reading from the text together. Uh, John chapter 4 is a a passage you're uh, potentially very familiar with, Jesus talking to the the woman at the well. Uh, But we'll read verses 7 through 9 here to uh, get caught up kind of in the context here. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Uh, This is where we're going to be tonight as we think about uh, Jesus, the bridge builder. Uh, I I want us tonight to look at how he actually went about doing those things. There are a lot of places that we could go. Throughout the Gospels, he's constantly interacting with people uh, that are in outcast positions, that are very much living in this world and need to be told about uh, the Word of God, and he's constantly interacting at dinner tables, in marketplaces, out in the streets, uh, with those individuals. Uh, but there's very much a, uh, a intimate but also a pretty extensive conversation that takes place here. Uh, I feel like this is a great place for us to go uh, tonight. Uh, we're going to talk about how Jesus built his bridges and then how we build those bridges following Uh, after the master builder's uh, example here. Uh, John chapter 4, Jesus built bridges a couple different ways. The first is he crossed social barriers. Okay, If we're going to build bridges, we have to understand that there are going to be things that we have to cross over. Uh, Jesus here in this section is going to cross over a few of those things. The first one is this. Uh, He is here talking to a woman. This is not in the section that we just read. Uh, But in chapter 4, verse 27, when the disciples return, uh, they say this. uh, Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? Uh, So here you have the disciples as they're they're making their way back. Just that that language. They they marveled. This is something that is astonishing to them. uh, Because this wasn't really all that common a thing to do. Uh, There were some reasons for that. Culturally speaking, there was opportunity for gossip and things like that to go around of, did you see uh, he was talking to her? What could that mean? And all all that. So they just avoided that uh, altogether uh, because of what it could mean. Uh, They just tried to avoid those conversations. But here, Jesus, in the middle of the day, uh, in, in broad daylight, out in public, uh, is here having this conversation. Uh, and the disciples don't know what to do. Uh, we don't know if they're not saying anything because it's Jesus. And so maybe they have a trust for what he's doing. Uh, we don't know if they're not saying anything because they are so caught off guard by the interaction that they're not saying this. But John lets us know what they are thinking. You know, they're thinking... Okay, what do you need? What, what, what would drive you to have this conversation, to cross this social barrier? Uh, what would make this happen? Uh, and they're also thinking, uh, why are you talking with her? They're not going to ask Jesus that, but they're certainly thinking it. And John writes that down for us. Jesus certainly knows uh, where their head is at. But Jesus, wanting to reach this woman, to build a bridge to her, uh, doesn't care about 
uh, that particular social barrier uh, and talks to her anyway. Number two, uh, a Samaritan. We read this in verse 9 already. Uh, the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for me a, a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then John gives us a little more uh, in, in a bit of a parenthetical here. Uh, for the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Uh, the Samaritans were made up of those Jewish people that remained uh, after others were taken in exile. Uh, and so they would have intermarried with the people of the land, which is partly what got them into so much trouble in the first place, leading them into idol worship and all these things. Uh, but they still claimed their Jewish heritage. This whole discussion is taking place uh, in, a, in a verse we didn't read, verse 6, Jacob's well. I mean, they have Jewish heritage, but they also are connected to this other thing. They're very much uh, of both worlds, uh, and the Jewish people completely wrote them off uh, because they are, you're intermarried with the people, you are practicing in things that God is opposed to, you are with these people that God has carried off into exile. Uh, so they wouldn't have anything to do with each other. Uh, that was the barrier that existed between the two groups. And Jesus, a Jew, uh, a sinless Jew, <laughs> who, who hasn't ever had... Uh, though temptations, we're told, do, did exist for Jesus, never gave in to those things into sin. Here you have a perfect Jewish person who is now, in the eyes of many Jewish people, going to become unclean because he's talking to a Samaritan. That's not the law, uh, but that would be the thought process. And he crosses that social barrier because his desire is to reach this woman here at the well. Number three. I don't think this is reading too much into the text at all, uh, that there is uh, certainly some social anxiety here for the woman. This chair spins a little bit, but I'm wired up. So if you see me facing that way, just listen to the sound of my voice, uh, and we'll do this together. Uh, in chapter 4, verse 6, uh, and we, we read this, but it's that phrase, the sixth hour, uh, that we're interested in. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he, was, uh, as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Uh, that would be about noon, and in other words, it's about the time that you don't want to be gathering water. You don't want to go out in the heat of the day to go and get your water. Just think about how hot it gets here in the summer, would you rather go at 8 in the morning to carry this jar that's heavy on its own, then fill it with water and walk it all the way back to town, uh, or would you rather go out at noon when it's about 104 and there's no sun coverage? So why is she out here? Why, why is she out here in the middle of the day at, at its hottest point in the day? Why is she here we find out later about the past uh, things that she's been involved in and her present as well. Uh, but some of these things that would make her very much an outcast within the town that she was a part of. All of the other women would have gone together to do this much earlier in the day. But she came out here alone during the heat of the day. Whether she has anxiety, I am not sure. Uh, but she is certainly, uh, maybe lonely is a better word. She's on her own. She is alone uh, coming out here uh, to take care of this thing. And Jesus cuts right through that. Uh, knows where she is and doesn't deviate from his plan to go and reach her. 
He's wanting to interact with her. And Jesus interacted with the woman in the world that she was living in. Uh, This uh, Samaritan who was alone at the well in the heat of the day, Jesus is going to approach her as a Samaritan woman who's there alone in the middle of the day and is going to address her in those terms and in that place. And the conversation that's going to follow is going to talk about those aspects about her life uh, and walk through those things with her, hopefully to bring her to uh, this uh, bridge built to the word here. Uh, So first, Jesus builds bridges by crossing social barriers. Number two, Uh, He built bridges by crossing theological barriers. There's three here as well. Uh, And this is where we'll actually just be in the text only. I didn't want to put tons of verses on the screen uh, in these sections. Chapter 4, verses 10 through 15, uh, he has this discussion with her about eternal life. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She doesn't want to keep coming back out there. And there is some of this that seems very much for her to be a thought process on the physical. We cannot blame her for that. She's physically coming to get water. And he is talking about a water jar and getting water from the well. But then he brings this spiritual application to Uh, what they are doing out there, and start speaking to her about eternal life. Uh, If you you go through the Old Testament, the idea of life after this one, it's not that they didn't have any concept of that at all, uh, but it was not discussed there like it is within the New Testament. Uh, Within the Old Testament, and you can see this through Deuteronomy especially, as Moses is laying out the... Law of God a second time, uh, as Joshua and the people of Israel are about to go into the promised land. Uh, he's laying out the law for a second time, and he specifically calls out blessings for following and curses uh, for not following those things. And if you read those lists, those are all immediate and physical. That's what they understood. Uh, and you think about the Old Testament sacrifices, the temple, and all of this, it's physical. Uh, tangible, it's things that they, they can see, that they can touch, that they can experience because the Old Testament is leading to uh, this New Testament thing. It's not that they didn't have an idea about the afterlife. They believed in a place of the dead. But this idea of eternal life uh, is one that was uh, somewhat newer to them uh, as Jesus is talking about it. That being said... For somebody to claim to bring eternal life or at the very... And eternal, by the way, uh, would be understood uh, as not just a, uh, a quantity, longevity of life, that kind of idea, but also the best kind. Uh, so it's a, a certain quality of life. For somebody to claim that they can give you this incredible life forever... 
uh, would be a claim that for her, and we'll find this out later, uh, would be connected to the Messiah, to this person uh, coming from God, this king, this anointed one that's going to deliver us from the trials we are under to something better. And we'll find out later that she has ideas about the Messiah, that she is anticipating it too. It's not just the Jewish people, but it's this half-Jewish individual. They're also anticipating this deliverance. And as Jesus is talking to her about this big concept of eternal life, uh, he is starting to begin the, the dropping of this idea that you're not just talking to some guy, but you're talking to somebody who's very important. Uh, he crossed theological barriers first by talking to her about eternal life, but then he moves from that discussion uh, into her personal life. Uh, and it's here in her personal life that we're actually going to get into uh, doctrine, beliefs uh, for them. She's living a life that would not be in accordance with Torah. She's, she's not living according to the law. Uh, she would think that that's something she needs to do, though the Samaritan's law and the Jewish law is going to look a little different. Uh, she knows that she's not in a right relationship uh, with God. Uh, and Jesus has this conversation with her, starting in verse 16, uh, about these relationships she's been in. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband, and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You're right in saying, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And we'll read, uh, we'll pick up in verse 19 in just a moment. Uh, but this is Jesus indicating to her that he has more knowledge than just the things that she reveals, uh, which again is going to spark in her this, I'm not just talking to a normal person here. Uh, that's what we're building towards. Uh, but Jesus, in trying to cross these theological barriers, he starts with this idea of, I have life to offer uh, where you'll never thirst again where you won't have to come and, and work in this sort of way, where you're not going to need to come out here alone, and that's what appeals to her. Let me know so I don't have to keep coming out here to do this. She doesn't want that life, but that's the life that she has. So he starts with this eternal life, this, this water, these uh, rivers of life, very uh, heavenly terminology, Old Testament and New Testament, uh, and he starts there, then moves into the life that she is living right now. And he calls that out and says, look, you've been married five times and the person you're with right now is not your husband. Uh, that's not good. And she knows that, uh, and he knows that too, uh, and calls that out. And he tries to cross this theological barrier for her, somebody who should know better, and calls her out to some degree, though not harshly, uh, but does call out the personal life of hers uh, and where she's deviating from God. Number three, uh, he talks to her about her, her worship life, the things that she does uh, when it comes to, to worship here. Picking up in 19, this is the response to what we just read, and it leads into this next part. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place for people out to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know 
that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Uh, and this is ultimately what we were building towards, was this, this great revelation for her of, we've been anticipating this Messiah, this, this person to come. Not sure when he will be here, we just know that we want him to, to get here. Uh, because the oppression that they are under, uh, not just her personal life, but the, the lives of her people, there's oppression there. Uh, she's living under her own uh, oppression, some of that uh, by her, uh, her own choices. Uh, it seems that uh, the number of husbands and things that she has had, uh, based on what we read later, uh, because of her outcast status, it seems like the, these are maybe some choices she's made. Uh, later, she'll say to the townspeople, come see a man who told me all that I have ever done, uh, which seems to be her indicating I've done these things that he called me out for uh, and taking responsibility there. And Jesus moves from that into worship and their differences on how worship should be conducted. And, and to some degree, we can relate to these conversations. Uh, disagreements about how worship should take place, uh, talking to others whose personal lives specifically uh, within their relationships are not uh, in line with what God has written down. And this is exactly who Jesus is talking to. Uh, crossing these social barriers, crossing these theological barriers, crossing the social uh, so that he can get into her world. And then when he's in her world, this Lonely Samaritan woman helped to build a bridge to understanding uh, what her relationship should look like uh, with God and with these others. Uh, what her understanding of what life is all about should look like. That she should be looking forward to uh, this better thing and seeking after that better thing. And ultimately that he is the provider of this better thing. By building bridges to her world, Jesus was able to bring her to a better understanding of the word. In doing so, Jesus leaves us the example on how to build bridges. And there are all sorts of church growth books that exist. Uh, we had to read some for, for school. Uh, I think we even had to write some ideas about all of those things. Uh, we also had a lot of conversations about uh, different things that other churches do, and sometimes we can look at other churches, and I'm not saying this is bad, uh, but to look at other churches maybe for inspiration in uh, some areas. Uh, but then we can get bad with that by looking and saying, well, they're big, so they must be doing all these things correct, so we need to do uh, the things that they're doing. Uh, and some of the time, the stuff they have is not why they grew uh, and is not sustainable growth, and it, those people are going to leave uh, and all of this. There's all sorts of ideas about how things should grow and work and all of this. If we really want to build bridges, which is not just evangelistic, but it's certainly a part of it. If we want to reach out to people, if we want others to know what they are missing out on, and... and that begins with us truly understanding what we have, but that's another, uh, that's another lesson, perhaps. But if we want others to come to appreciate uh, the, the things that we have, that the life that they are living outside of Christ is not good, 
that there are things that they're involved in that are, if, if they aren't already, going to return to them empty. The place that we need to turn to to figure out how we connect from our world of understanding God and knowing His Word and then coming into their world and connecting with them, with the culture, with things that they're dealing with, If we want to understand how to do that, a book is not the place that we need to turn to. We need to look at the one who built all those bridges, the master builder, and follow Jesus' example. Uh, So let's apply all of this uh, and talk about how this goes. I really, really wish that I could move around right now. I cannot tell you how uncomfortable it is for me to not be able to run across the the front of the auditorium here. Let's talk about how we build bridges. Uh, All three of these points here are going to be phrased in a this, not this kind of way. Uh, That's on purpose. Uh, I don't want to be overly negative, but I also don't want to be overly positive and just say, hey, you know, do this uh, without talking about some of the mistakes we made, uh, make and how we maybe involve ourselves in building barriers instead of bridges uh, or uh, as we'll talk about later, uh, the idea that my mentor preacher training camp always said uh, about one-way bridges and what happens there. Here's our first one. Uh, if we want to build bridges, uh, we need to look at people and uh, the scenarios that we're involved in as opportunities, not inconveniences. Uh, we've already read uh, one of these passages, and we'll, we'll build some more in here. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus wearied. That's, that's ultimately where this account begins. Jesus has been going around. He has been teaching. Uh, the Pharisees are already starting to chase after him here in John's Gospel in, in chapter 4. Uh, he's tired. And he very easily could have just sat here, tired, knowing that the social barrier is there of... Men do not talk to women in this one-on-one kind of way within this culture. Jews do not talk to Samaritans. I'm too tired anyway. Uh, And she's here alone. She she probably just wants to be left alone. He had a number of excuses. Uh, He had a number of ways to say, uh, this is just not the right time for this. It's inconvenient. But he does not see that says that this woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus sees there an opportunity. Though he's tired, though socially, uh, he's certainly under no obligation to speak to her and could even get in trouble with Pharisees that are already running after him. Uh, He doesn't see those as reasons to not do this. He says, no, there's an opportunity here. This person is presented before me as somebody that I could possibly reach. The disciples do not see it that way. Uh, They see this, uh, as we've already looked at. What do you you seek? Why are you talking with her? Uh, For them, this is a distraction. They're they're not sure what's going on. Uh, Jesus is supposed to be resting. They're probably upset about the fact that he's in another conversation again, teaching and all of this. Uh, they certainly did this if, if you want to maybe be lighter on the disciples. Uh, don't forget that in uh, both Matthew and Mark's gospel, maybe Luke's as well, uh, but in Matthew and Mark's gospel, they turn children away, and then Jesus spends a long time discussing with them why not to do that. 
and then they turn children away again. Because these disciples are constantly thinking about uh, these environments and going, well, you know, he's tired, he really needs, just keep your distance, just all this. And you have Jesus, meanwhile, saying, no, come to me, this is an opportunity. But the disciples don't quite see that. They see a woman here and are wondering why Jesus is discussing things with the Samaritan woman, especially when he's tired. And Jesus' response, and this is only part of it, Do you not say there are yet four months and comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. See that the fields are white for harvest. Look. This idea of sight is a big one here in, in John the Gospel. Uh, The idea of sight is pretty big. Uh, But here in this section as well, uh, because the the woman will go into the town and say, come and see uh, a phrase that one of the disciples said uh, to his brother. Say, come and see this Jesus. This idea of looking up and seeing the things around you uh, is very prominent through at least this first part of the gospel. Uh, And here you have the woman walking away, going into the town. Jesus knows what's going to occur from all this because the town is going to come out and now speak with him, invite him to come speak with them uh, because of this woman. Because he didn't see her as an inconvenience, but as an opportunity. Uh, As somebody that he could reach out to, build a bridge to, uh, and then from there have even more influence over others. Because Jesus viewed this whole thing as a chance to bring somebody that's caught in this world over into this one. He built that bridge because he saw somebody as, uh, he saw this woman as a, a, a chance that he could have this conversation and maybe bring her to a better understanding. This, could, this whole thing could have been different. I mean, by the end of this chapter, and we'll read this verse later, but by the end of this chapter, this whole town comes to a belief in Jesus initially because the woman invites them out. says, come listen to this teacher. He, he told me everything I've ever done. I think this might be the Messiah and brings the town out to come hear him. Jesus could have very easily said, no, this just isn't the time. It's not the moment. There's too many social things. I'll get in too much trouble. This isn't going to work. And then none of this would have happened at all. We want to build bridges. We need to see people. Uh, We need to see conversations, uh, people, difficulties, difficult people as opportunities uh, and chances for uh, real change, not inconveniences. Number two, uh, if we want to build bridges, we need to seek not reject. Uh, we read this verse already here in, in 23. The hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Uh, repeatedly through the Gospels, you have Jesus talking about his desire to uh, go after you know, the lost sheep of Israel or talk to the lost, that he's here for. Uh, the sick, they're the ones in need of the physician. That's always his answer. I'm trying to go after people, uh, not so that I can go to them and continue to reject them, because these people were already rejected. This woman is rejected by her town uh, because of some of the things that she has done and some of the things that she's been involved in. Uh, Jesus is not looking to interact with her and His father is not interested uh, in Jesus interacting with her uh, so that she can be further rejected. Jesus is trying to show her that there is a place of acceptance 
And that comes with change. We're not removing that. But there is a place of acceptance where the Father is seeking people like her, those on the outside. Uh, this is particularly true, and, and John talked about the podcast that we've been going through Luke's gospel specifically on, on the Lord's Supper. Uh, and it's interesting when you go look at all the times Jesus sat at a table with people. Uh, the people that Jesus sits at the table with are not the people that the Pharisees and tax collectors would ever sit with. But Jesus is constantly sitting at a table with people that are sinful, outcasts, not regarded. Not to tell them, hey, you're fine how you are. He doesn't do that. He, he does encourage and, and try to bring them out of their sin because he's not interested in saying, hey, you're in this world, just stay in that world. That's not what he's doing. He's wanting to bring them from that to this world over here, to an understanding of the word. But Jesus does that by going and seeking those kinds of people that the, very specifically, the Pharisees, those that know better, uh, have made outcast by overburdening the laws, by uh, reaching out with power they didn't actually have uh, with God's word uh, and enforcing that on people. You have Jesus repeatedly saying, no, we're seeking these people to show them that there is something better than the life that they are in now. If we want to build bridges, we have to be people that are actually seeking others, that, that have a desire to bring people from where they are to something not just better, but to the best thing, <laughs> to the life that God has to offer here, uh, and not look for ways to reject people more. Number three, if we want to build bridges... We need to choose uh, salvation over uh, condemnation. Chapter 4, starting in verse 39, and we'll have 42 on the screen here in a moment, but uh, I want us to have kind of the greater context. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. That's all she said. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, this is verse 42, they said to the woman, we no longer believe because of what uh, you have said, uh, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. They did not say, uh, we have come to this greater belief in, in him uh, because we have been greater harshly condemned about the sinful things we're involved in. Uh, this was mentioned a little bit ago. Uh, this will be the point I probably come down on hardest here as we get towards the end. I'm aware of the, the time. Uh, I, I preached last year on homosexuality and hell and transgenderism and, and all of those sorts of things uh, because those are things we need to talk about uh, and discuss. And those things are uh, hell on the outs. Hell is a real place, and that needs to be spoken of. Uh, and it's not talked about much at all uh, anymore. Uh, and then these other subjects are things that are sinful. They go against uh, God's word. Uh, and we are in the midst right now of what is called Pride Month. And you're probably seeing those sorts of things everywhere uh, all the time. And so I am not saying that those things should not be condemned. Absolutely not. And you can go listen to me say 
otherwise online if you would like to. Uh, but those are long sermons and may not be interested once might be enough. And I understand that. Here's what I mean by this point. What changes their lives is understanding that there is something better for them than the life they're in. These people are anticipating a Messiah. They they are anticipating that there will be at some point a deliverer. But until Jesus comes on the scene, there's 400 years of anticipating and waiting. And it didn't happen for their ancestors. And maybe it's not going to happen for us. You know, that's, that's their mindset. But they're desperately hoping that this Messiah will come to liberate them from the, the slavery they're in, which they're thinking very physically uh, with Rome and all of these things. Jesus comes to liberate them from something far worse than that, uh, from sin. They have a hope of something better. I don't know if you've paid much attention to what happens when somebody does uh, something wrong or something that is dubbed as wrong uh, by the majority uh, within the culture. Even if there is, uh, even if there is uh, repentance and saying, I, I wish I had never said that, I'm sorry I said those things, there is no forgiveness in this culture. There's no mercy in this culture Uh, People will unearth things from years ago that somebody who was a lot more immature said that they've grown past so that they can throw that thing back into their face and say, I can't believe you ever thought this at any point in your life. You are to be condemned. And everybody is racing within the culture just to condemn one another. There's no forgiveness there. But we need that. We need forgiveness. And people want it. And they don't know where to go. My, uh, John said I was good at, uh, good at everything. I'm good at baseball, too. I just haven't played in a while. My dad taught me baseball. <laughs> he was real good at baseball. Uh, and he, we would go out and throw all the time. We'd go out and practice. He had me stand at a, a chain link fence and put the bat right here and get as close as I could and just keep the swing as tight as possible. You know what my dad did not say to me? I would like to teach you the second best way, I believe, uh, there is to swing a baseball bat. Nobody does that. The, the things that we do, okay, if, if we were all commissioned to go build a house and all of that, we would all go about that doing different things. Okay, we'd go about that different ways. But you know what we'd all be doing the same? We'd be doing it the best way we thought was possible. There's nobody who says, I'm going to choose the second best idea today. <laughs> I'm going to do things the second best way I can think. And there's certainly nobody that says, I'm going to do this the worst way possible. That doesn't mean that they don't do it the worst way possible. But that's not the thought process. When we look at all these people that are celebrating these things that are, uh, that are leading them away from God, they probably don't know that. They're not waking up and choosing, you know what, I would love to disappoint and distance myself from the almighty creator of the universe. They're not thinking that. They, they don't know who that is. And they need to know who that is. That, that's the bridge building. And they don't come to know that when we come in with a message, and 
I, none of you have done this as far as I know because I'm not friends with any of you on Facebook. But I've seen a lot of this on Facebook this month because of the Pride Month stuff. There is a lot of, here are photos about how people celebrating these kinds of lifestyles need to stop talking. It doesn't belong to you. The rainbow's ours. That's a promise from, from God to Noah and all this. And that is accurate. But you know what that's not doing? It's not building a bridge at all. And those people that are in homosexuality that see those things are going to continue to remain in homosexuality and, quite honestly, are probably going to be even harder now to get out of that. The, the bridge work is going to take a lot more work because of those things. Believe me, I know that it is tempting, especially when these things are being uh, shouted out and, and applauded culturally and all of this to say... We've got to be loud and fight this back in the same way that they are, but that's not going to work. It's going to keep us firmly on our side of the bridge over on the Word, and it's going to keep them firmly entrenched on their side of the bridge over in the world. And we might be right, but we're not helping people come to know what the truth is. If we want to be bridge builders, we need to not do these things. When we treat others as inconveniences, choose to reject, choose to condemn. We leave those on the world side, stuck on the world side. My mentor at Preacher Training Camp, uh, and he tells this joke every year now, so it's not that funny, but the first couple of times it was really good. He said, what do you call a bridge that's only got one side? It's a ramp. Hey, there, there's nothing to build to. People are just falling off the edge of it. Hey, we don't want to leave people in the life that they're in. We want them to come to know this much better thing, the best thing that has implication not just for their eternal lives, but for their life in the present too. That will get them out of these bad fruits that they are reaping here and bring them to something so much better. That doesn't happen when we choose to look at these people as inconveniences or to reject them. Or to find more ways to say, you're, you're, you're too lost, you're never going to listen to these things, you don't love God, you don't care about hell, and it can be very easy too, uh, to pat ourselves on the back to say, well, I told them that they were going to be condemned, they just don't love the truth. Jesus talked a lot about hell. I know my time is up, I'm sorry, I'll never come back again if that's the... <laughs> Jesus talked a lot about hell, more so than heaven, but... When he talked about hell, it was to the people that knew better. It's the Jewish people. It's the Pharisees. When he talked to the Gentiles, he said, you guys don't know better. I want to tell you about this thing that's better. They don't know. If we want to build bridges, we've got to look at people as opportunities. Look for ways to go into our mornings, our days with, I'm going to seek after people, lost people, to bring them to know who God is. And reveal to them the salvation that comes from Him. That, that they can't find in the culture, that they can't find in their lifestyle, that they can't find in their hobbies or whatever thing it may be, but only in Him. If we want to build bridges, that's what we have to do. So tonight, because I believe you want to do this, this, this word, build. Uh, this may look different for each of you, and we'll state these three real fast and then pray, but I encourage you to think about these three things to do one of them. Plan to build. I think about somebody that you know uh, that is maybe within the world in some way and you want to help them get over here and, and pray for them. 
to think about how you can go about starting those conversations to build that bridge. Uh, Number two, uh, think about a new build of how am I going to build this bridge with this individual? Where do I need to start? What are some of the things they like? How how often am I around them? Uh, Where can I go to begin the conversation? Jesus starts with water because that's what she's there for uh, and gets her to the Messiah. Uh, Start with something, something that you share an interest in uh, and go from there uh, and be patient uh, and just let, trust the process uh, in that build. Uh, number three, uh, you might need to rebuild. Uh, there may be some people that you need to go to and say, I'm sorry about how I said these things. You know, I, I said it for this re- that reason. I, I was passionate about it, and I still am passionate about it, but I understand it may have come across this way. But I want to come and apologize because I want you to have this thing that I have. Uh, that's a hard thing to do. To say, hey, I'm sorry about how I said that. But we need to be not concerned with being right, but with bringing people from the world to the word, to the truth, and having the thing that we have. Let's pray together. Holy Father God, we come before you uh, this evening uh, thankful for uh, the example of your son Jesus and how he reached out to uh, the woman at the well, to, uh, to so many others that were looking for uh, belonging and, and hope and forgiveness and couldn't find it in what the world had to offer. Yeah, we thank you for reminding us constantly, showing us constantly throughout the Gospels that the, the answer to hopelessness, to uh, people's fears... Uh, to the desire to belong, to to loneliness, is found only in your Son, Jesus. And God, we pray that you help us to think about how we can emulate Him to be like Christ, to follow His example, so that we can bring other people out of their sin and into a relationship with you. God, we love you very much. We thank you for the redeeming power of Jesus through the cross. We thank you for his resurrection, our joining, uh, his death and burial and resurrection through our baptisms, our our commitments to you. We thank you for the new life that we have. We pray that we use that life to bring others to uh, a knowledge of the life that they could have in you too. Help us to be bridge builders as we leave this place, to love others, to tell them how much you love them. We pray all this in your son's name. Thanks, everybody.